Superstation, you are on car radio, and I am Henry Payne, auto columnist for the Detroit News. Great to have you on the program here for the next two hours and the best car radio show in all of Michigan. Got a great show planned for you today. We're going to be talking to David Tracy, one of the most interesting writers uh, out there today with Jalopnik. Uh, we're going to be talking about the new Rivian R1T pickup. Uh, he and I have both driven this uh, electric truck recently. It's a fascinating ride. We'll also be talking to Manny Katakis, our good friend, uh, about the upcoming SEMA show next, next week in Las Vegas. David Cole will also be joining us uh, this hour to talk about uh, coming electric vehicle regulations. And then we got lots more the second hour talking Corvette Z06 with Ted Stuker. Uh, Range Rovers, Kia Sportages, all kinds of stuff as usual. Lots of great stuff to get to in this uh, wonderful industry. If you want to join the conversation, give us a call here, 313-778-7600. And, uh, of course, if you can't join us for this entire program, we're always on your favorite uh, podcast channel. Next week, uh, you can find us on Google and Apple and Spotify, all your favorite podcasts but let's uh, let's kick things off here at the top of the hour with david tracy from jalopnik david how are you i'm doing great hey henry nice to finally uh, be on with you we see each other all the time at these press events so i'm thrilled to be here yeah yeah great to great to have you on with us today and uh for folks who aren't familiar with uh Dave's work, he's, you can find him on Jalopnik, um, and uh, really really an interesting guy. He's, uh, he's an engineer, knows all the oily bits of these uh, cars that he drives. Um, he uh, walks the walk, has a, has a number of uh, vehicles in his backyard, former Jeep uh, engineer himself, and so really, really interesting read every anytime you come across uh, David, uh, David Tracy's Work and and uh, Dave, you you both you and I were in the uh, new Rivian R1T. A lot of anticipation for this vehicle. It's been a long time since we first saw it unveiled in Los in uh, Los Angeles back in 2018. Uh, uh, really kind of knocked all our socks off, but we've been patient to get it on the road. And you you really put uh, this this Rivian through the paces recently. And uh, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, when it showed its face, and I think it was 2018 LA Auto Show, um, it kind of caught a lot of us off guard. It's one thing for, you know, a company to show you um, CAD images and um, another to you know, show a product. And then more surprising is when I got there to drive it. You know, it's one, you know, seeing it on the LA Auto Show floor, okay, it's, it's a static model. It looks cool. Um, and you see the YouTube videos of it testing, that's great. But when you get behind the wheel of what is a new company's very first vehicle, and it is as 
well put together as this truck is, and it drives as well as this truck does, and it performs as well and as wide of a range of conditions as this truck does, it's just an impressive machine. I mean, even if, if we get rid of that, you know, qualifier, you know, this being their first car, it is full stop, impressive on and off road. Um, you know, I, I mentioned in my review that, you know, there are some, you know, definitely some, some areas that, that need work, some fit and finish stuff here, and there's some bugs in the infotainment system. Um, you know, and I also talk about what it's like to drive a four-wheel drive, a four-motor um, four-wheel drive electric vehicle off-road. Um, and, and, and it, yeah, it's, um, it's, it's a lot different than what you would think. Um, we'll probably get into that a little bit more here in a bit. What do you think, Henry? Yeah, I, I wrote about it for the Detroit News uh, this week, Dave, and, and um, I, I did not take it off-road. Uh, I was driving at the Car of the Year jury over in Ann Arbor, so, you know, putting it, uh, flogging it pretty good on the roads in and around Ann Arbor. But um, what really struck me about the vehicle and, and and this was true going back to 2018, is it's it's really the first of the Tesla generation of vehicles. I mean, this is a pickup truck that followed um, that, that 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 followed Tesla, but is going down the road of a pickup truck of a of a um, off-road utility vehicle, but that that very much sticks to the Tesla formula. Very similar interior, uh, screen and dominated uh, interior. Uh, very simple controls. Just has the uh, scroll wheels on either side of the uh, of the steering wheel bars, um, and and uh, so it, 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 it. I remember that when we when I first saw it in L.A. and I was impressed in driving it and just how it, it sort of takes that Tesla uh, roadmap to to a to a uh, to a pickup, trying to reimagine every aspect of the pickup truck and then seeing how we can make it better with modern technology and um and and uh, the electric motors and uh so i so i i, I took to it i took to it immediately I, I own a tesla model 3 myself and i uh, really like the the ergonomics in a tesla model 3 and so i i really took to the rivian uh in that regard um, you, you've got uh, you've got a lot of experience off roading. How how do you feel that translates to the to the off road? First, first I'll just mention that I, I found the Rivian to be. Uh, I'm interested in hearing your take as a Tesla owner. I thought the Rivian was a little more upscale than than any Tesla I've I've been in. But Tesla seemed a little bit more kind of subdued a bit. You know, their interiors are a bit more subdued, a little, little simpler. Yeah, like the Rivian. Seems a little, a little more upscale with all the wood everywhere and the colors and all that. Um, but yeah, I think that's, I think that's true. Yeah, that's a, that's a good observation. But in general, you know, when you get into it, you got to kind of adapt to a new environment. I'm, I'm always uh, when I take my Tesla uh, to an event, I'm, I, I usually don't valet park it just because, it, you know, it's a different operating system, and I, and I felt like uh, Rivian. Um, is that way too? It's a little different operating system uh, that you have to learn. I, I really like it. I, I, I like how Tesla and Rivian have laid out their uh, their interiors. But you know, it's different. You know, you get into an Audi EV these days, and it feels like a regular Audi, right? But you get into a Rivian and a Tesla, it's a different environment. 
yeah, it is there's, there's, there's definitely, and there is a bit of a learning curve um, initially. As to your question about off-roading, yeah, you know, the, when I went into that press drive, you know, I, I obviously, you know, I've heard about the R1T and the R1S's four-motor four-wheel drive system. You've got one motor powering each wheel, you know, compare that to an internal combustion engine system where you've got a single motor or engine, if you want to call it, powering all four wheels. You've basically got this ability to really precisely apportion power um, and, you know, between wheels, and you have this torque vectoring capacity unlike anything that, that we've, you know, that we've, that we've really seen um, in the modern era. And, and my, my very first thought going into it was, you know, this is going to be the best four-wheel drive system there is. You've got a motor per wheel. Like, you can adjust torque to the wheels, and you, 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 can, you can make it so granular. Um, yeah. You know, adjusting it. Now, here's the thing, though. There are certain aspects. That, there are certain things that you can't really, you know, that I didn't anticipate. When I went, out, went rock crawling, specifically, I noticed um, that it's kind of hard to emulate a locking differential when you've got a motor at each wheel. And you sort of do want a locking differential when you're doing technical rock crawling. You sort of, I, you know, it's, it's, there, are, there are ways to get around it, but the issue that I had with the R1T is there was quite a bit of wheel spin as the computer was trying to figure out, hey, how much grip do I have here? Um, it, you know, you'd have a wheel that would lose grip and to keep speed up the obstacle, you'd have to send torque to a different wheel. So you'd have to increase the current going to another wheel. If you increase the current too much, then that would slip. But, you know, it, takes a, it actually takes slip for the system to understand what traction conditions are. Um, yeah. And if you're on a really technical rock crawling course, even a quarter turn of a, of a tire can be really, really harmful to, to, to control, you, you know, the... Um, yeah, get your ability to control the vehicle on a technical course. But otherwise, I mean, it was it was awesome. Um, it, it, was, it was, you know, the, the, the biggest thing that I always tell people about off-roading, the most important attribute of an off-road vehicle is favorable geometry. That means high ground clearance, short overhangs, and a small belly. So very big approach departure and break overhangs. But that's what matters more than anything. Um, yeah. And, and that, yeah. in those areas... It excels. Yeah, and it's uh, and it's interesting, isn't it, Dave? The uh, because of the air suspension, this thing has a huge uh, uh, suspension range. You can it, it it goes up to 14 inches, I think, off ground, which is uh, I think that's higher than any Jeep that I'm familiar with, at least uh, coming out of an OEM. And then when you want to use 800 horsepower, you know, and and really uh, stomp the thing on road, it squats. Down to about eight inches off the ground. It's uh, it's quite it's got quite a bit of range in that way in that uh, in that way. Yeah, I mean, air suspension. The beauty of air suspension is you don't have to make an enormous compromise for really good off-road visibility. So, like you know, this thing has over 14 inches of ground clearance, great approach departure breakover angle. But if that were the only ride height setting then you would take it around turns and it would feel like you're, you know, driving this tall, you know, cumbersome thing. It would, there would be huge compromises in terms of handling instead of gravity that high. 
the beauty of air suspension. You can have it all. Yeah, it's, uh, uh, um, you know, and I, and I guess that's, you know, that's one of the advantages of a luxury vehicle, too. We're talking about a pickup truck here. It starts at $73,000. So it's uh, it's got a lot of luxurious amenities, and certainly air, air suspensions are something we're, we're expecting from uh, vehicles in, the, in that price range these days. Uh, you, you mentioned the uh, the four electric motors. you got two uh, inboard for uh, for each wheel front and back how does that work in terms of um in in terms of uh suspension is that is that is that a benefit because uh, there's there's sort of this debate i believe lordstown is putting electric motors out at the four corners uh on their electric vehicle what what where as an engineer how do you how do you see that inboard versus outboard electric motors so I don't know exactly how the Lordstown system works. I assume it's a hub motor is what you're referring to. Yeah. Motors that are actually unsprung. So they're, they're all out on the, the hubs, out of the, uh, basically out of the knuckles. Um, there are some, and I spoke with some European engineers about this. Um, there's a story that I'll be publishing here in the next, you know, couple of weeks about this. Um, why didn't Rivian go with a hub motor design? Well, for one, Obviously, unsprung weight is not good. Um, you want to make sure that your tires are able to really quickly react to undulations and imperfections in the road surface. And if you add mass to your to that unsprung uh, that unsprung weight, you know the, um, the knuckles, anything that's you know below the springs, its ability to react is going to be compromised. So you're going to end up with poor handling, etc. That's, that's part of it. Um, another part of it is if you look at the design of a hub motor, uh, you've got the, the, sta- the, the rotor itself. So the, the stator, as the name indicates, is, um, is not in motion. The, the t- as the tire and wheel spin, they're spinning along with the electric motor's rotor. So, you know, in the case of the Rivian, you've got a 7,000-pound vehicle. You can imagine how much load there is on those tires uh, and on those wheels. Now, that load is going to uh, um, cause some amount of deflection in those, in those bearings. And since the rotor is part of that assembly, that rotating assembly, what you end up with is you end up with interference between the rotor and the stator. So to get around that, you have to have more space between them. As, as Rivian engineers told me, in order to, to facilitate the high cornering loads of a vehicle this heavy, they have to space the electric motor's rotor so far from the stator that you'd lose motor efficiency, and that wasn't worth it to them. Hmm. Yeah, that's a, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, it's, uh, and we're going to see a lot of different uh, engineering come, coming here. The uh, the Hummer. Uh, EV, I believe, uh, starts with two electric motors front and back, adds a, a third in order to get its insane three seconds, zero to 60 runs, which is the same the Rivian does. I, I, I want to go uh, go up to 30,000 feet with you here because the Rivian is a obviously a different chassis structure. It's essentially a unibody, but it's it's a unibody on top of a a a a battery box a battery frame we we've got other uh unibody trucks coming into the truck uh, segment 
at the um, at the entry level. We've got a Hyundai Santa Cruz. We've got the Ford Maverick. Uh, what, what's your what's your sense of these unibody pickups uh, in general? Is that a is that a good thing? A lot of it depends. I think um, I think if you're a company and your tooling is largely uh, based on unibody vehicles, like if you're Hyundai, for example, and you build exclusively unibody vehicles, and you want to get in on the truck game, it makes a lot of sense. Um, Honda, same thing. You're not making body-on-frame vehicles anyway. Use use the tooling you have, use the, the expertise you have, and build a unibody pickup truck. I wrote an article a few years ago called Mid-sized trucks don't need frames. And in it, I quote uh, the chief engineer of the Toyota Tacoma, as well as the engineers from Honda, because um, at the time, the new Ridgeline had, had launched. And I started to dig into whether or not unibody makes sense for a mid-sized truck. And um, you know, ultimately, I concluded in that story that the answer is yes. Um, you know, the the... the High towing loads and, and payload that we that we sort of assume trucks need to deal with. I mean, they are. If you look at the mid-sized truck loads, towing loads, these are these are towing capacities that we've seen unibody vehicles handle. Um, usually, you know, like if you look at you know some mid-sized trucks, they tow many of them tow about seven thousand pounds ish. Mm-hmm. Uh, We've got unibody vehicles that have been towing 7,000 pounds for a long time, the Grand Cherokee, for example. Now, it's, it's a little bit different because you don't have that roof in the back and you don't have those pillars. And so you end up with some torsional and bending stresses that are a little hard to deal with, but Honda and Honda's figured it out. Um, so, and, and to be honest, like, you know, a lot of these vehicles that we're talking about, I think in your, the Maverick, and in the Santa Cruz, these are not. The people are not looking, looking at them as utility vehicles. They're looking at, at them as sort of lifestyle vehicles. So I think, I think they're going to do great. I, I don't know about Maverick sales right now. I wouldn't be surprised if they're selling really well. Um, I think they make sense, uh, and, and I think they're awesome. Yeah, I, I think it's wonderful to see a Ford Maverick at twenty thousand bucks in the market. I just, I think that's a wonderful development for. Pickup drivers, um, and uh, you know, I, uh, I'd like to know what was that process like within Toyota, you know, getting that approved. Because I feel like, man, if I, if I were, you know, going up to a, you know, to a committee at, a, at any OEM, and I said, you know, I'd like to build a dirt cheap pickup truck. Let's build it on a unibody platform, kind of like our escape. I feel like I'd get laughed out of the room. I, I feel like this is something that someone just had to push based on a gut feeling. Maybe there were some customer clinics that, that you know, showed that there was a demand for this. But I don't know. It seems so, it's so different from what we'd expect. You know, especially from Ford. These last, you know, for four or five years, I would have never imagined this would happen. But it's a yeah. cool product. It's different. Yeah, some interesting stuff going on over at that Ford shop these days. Well, Dave, uh, appreciate your joining us today. Uh, a great, uh, great review of the, of, of the Rivian, and, and uh, I look forward to seeing you on the trail. Heck yeah, thanks, Henry. You have a good one. All right, that's Dave Tracy. Uh, check out his review of the Rivian R1T. 
uh, at Jalopnik. Uh, really interesting review. He really goes deep dive into the vehicle on-road and off-road. We're going to take a break here to hear from our sponsors. On the other side of the break, we'll be talking about SEMA out in Las Vegas here on Car Radio 910 AM. Hello, Detroit. This is Kim Holt. I'm here to introduce you to MoreForDetroit.com. MoreForDetroit.com is a website giving you a brief summary of who Ricardo Moore is, what Ricardo Moore does, and what Ricardo Moore believes about Detroit. More for Detroit also has a comprehensive list of contact numbers on who to call just in case. More for Detroit is for you. M-O-O-R-E, the number four, Detroit.com. 9 to a.m. Superstation has the greatest advertising deal ever with our Godfather package. 200 spots for $500 with a must-air-within-30-day policy. That is only $2.50 per spot, and we will even produce the spots free. That's right, free. Call Ronisha Williams now at 313-434-8291. WADL gets a facelift and is now My 38 Detroit. Along with a facelift comes new programming on Mondays at 8 p.m. Catch a two-hour block of Law & Order SVU. Tuesday, Chicago Fire. Wednesdays, Dateline. More Dateline and Chicago PD on Thursdays and on Fridays. You'll get more Chicago PD to start your weekend. We'll still have some of your favorite shows like Mom, Blackish, and Friends. Just adding more for you to enjoy on My 38. Are you drowning in debt? Struggling just to make minimum payments? It's not your fault. Serious debt can happen to anyone, but there is hope. Our debt-free program has helped thousands of good people, just like you, eliminate their credit card debt. Call us today, and we will dramatically reduce your credit card debt down to just a fraction of what you owe. The call is free. The consultation is free. Take control of your credit debt. Take control of your life again. Call now to see how our debt-free program can work for you. Call 800-872-5230. But 9, 10 a.m. can give you this much excitement. I'm Henry Payne, auto columnist for the Detroit News. You are on car radio. The full swing here on Saturday. Well, I just have a stream coming through here talking about cool cars, classic cars, hot rods, muscle cars. we got a great lineup for you today. Best car radio show in all of Michigan. Catch it all right here on 9, 10 a.m. Superstation. 910, the Superstation. Detroit's only African-American talk radio. Welcome back on to Car Radio. You're on N10 AM, the Superstation. I'm Henry Payne, auto columnist for the Detroit News. Great to have you with us today. And from uh, muscle electric trucks to uh, muscle um, <laughs> muscle off-roaders uh, out in Las Vegas, we're joined by Manny Katakis now, who is headed out to SEMA. That's the special uh, the Specialty Equipment Market Association. They're having their big convention out in Las Vegas next week. Manny, how are you? Great to be with you again, Henry. Yeah, always good to have you on the program and um and Manny you you've uh, you've been out to this uh this big show a few times. Tell tell folks what it's like out there in Vegas for SEMA. Oh, you're giving me flashbacks. Uh, so it's really like 
it's an hour show unlike any other. It, it's this it's this crossroads between OEMs and the aftermarket. You've got everybody from you know Chevrolet and Ford and Mopar officially to uh, tire makers. You've got to tire shiners, right? And you've got you've got mothers, you've got Meguiar's, uh, you've got superchargers uh, like Eaton and Magnuson. You've got um, even the you know the new thing is or not even the new thing anymore. The, the current thing is uh, uh, like calibration, chip tuning, stuff like that. And uh, you know you have HP tuners there, and then outside you have uh, vehicle demonstrations, drifting, jumping. It's it's just five days of sensory overload. Um, it's it's impossible to cover by yourself, and it's it, it's truly uh, unlike um, any other auto show I've been to. <laughs> I love it, and, um, and 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 you see all you 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 uh, write for muscle cars and trucks, and you see a lot of muscle cars and trucks over there. We're expecting uh, Corvette is going to show off. Uh, their new 670 horsepower Z06 over there. The Toyota boys are going to bring uh, some wild variations of their super sports cars. But this year there seems to be a real focus from uh, other manufacturers on off-road stuff. Off-road stuff, off-road muscle is really a hot trend these days. I would agree. Uh, you're even seeing that. From the product that OEMs offer, you had Ram TRX that launched, you know, fairly recently. New Raptor just launched. Um, Chevrolet just revealed their version of the, the new Silverado ZR2, first ever. And you're you're seeing this. I, I, I for whatever reason, it's it's like this this this, this migratory event is happening, and it, it, I'm not sure if it's at the expense of of, of street muscle so to speak, right, because you look at, like, Charger, Challenger, Mustang, Camaro, sales are all kind of shrunken up, and, and at the same time, you're just seeing, you know, more off-road vehicle offerings than ever before, definitely more than ever before, and, and in multiple segments, everything from compact to, uh, you know, Super Duty Tremor and Power Wagon, and then you have all of this aftermarket support, too, that that comes with it, and some of it is very, very, very high-end, right? You, and you don't really even have to look outside of Michigan to, to see what I'm talking about here when you have companies like American Expedition Vehicles who are probably the best in the business when it comes to having fun very slowly. Um, they, they, they do pretty, pretty incredible stuff with uh, Jeeps and with um, GM vehicles. So uh, if you remember the, the Colorado ZR2 Bison, that was a – AEV collaboration with GM, you know, where it was basically vehicle uh, integration, right? Like at the engineering, at the engineering level, you were bringing in third parties for support, and you don't really see that very frequently. But when you do, the, the results can be pretty cool. Um, at at the SEMA show, there's it's even more it's even more sports involved. So you have. Uh, who does you know, all the off-road desert racing out west, they're bringing over 50 vehicles uh, just to show off on the show floor. You know, it's all these Baja racers, some of these historic vehicles, even the, uh, the, the, big, the big Oli or the big Ollie, uh, Ford Bronco from the, from the 60s that uh, sold recently for $1.86 million. Like, that's going to be 
on display just at the Cena show. Yeah, it's wild. Yeah, there's all all kinds of uh, eye candy out there, and and obviously the the uh, OEMs, the original equipment manufacturers, want to be there too, so they can uh, show off their latest goods. I, I I feel like in the off-road segment that this has always been Jeep's domain. Jeep would come in with I don't know, you know, four or five different uh, collaborations with SEMA. Uh, companies and do these wild-looking Jeeps. And uh, this year they got uh, some company out there. They got, in particular, they got Bronco now. Bronco is out there, I think, for its first SEMA show because last SEMA was canceled last year during the pandemic. Bronco's bringing six of these heavily modified uh, versions of of, uh, of its off-road vehicle. Yeah, one of them even has tape treads, right? Like it, it's Pretty, it's pretty fun, and, and, and you know Mopar. So they 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 brought the heat. They they brought a three. They're bringing a three row Jeep Wrangler, which I think looks good enough to get built. You know what I mean? Like, is there is there room in the Jeep lineup for a three row? Um, Jeep also kind of has a bit more of its stride going with uh, with the fact that they're not just launching a brand new product. So you have Wrangler three ninety two. You have Wrangler four by e. Eventually, you know, you you assume that that that's going to trickle into the Gladiator truck, and it's just like, you know, to put it another way, you had uh, I I got a pretty good um, interview quote from uh, uh, Jim Morrison, uh, the the North America president of Jeep, and basically just kind of threw Ford right under the bus, and it was just kind of like, wow, there's really no love lost between you two right now. And uh, I'm here for it because the competition <laughs> is pretty uh, it's, it's pretty incredible. And and yeah, the the Bronco, the it is Bronco's first SEMA, and I I'm already seeing some builds from independent um, you know builders basically that uh, are are going to be showing off independent or uh, excuse me live axle uh, front suspension setup. So they totally just like all of the engineering and. And suspension tuning and, and thinking of of why the Ford Bronco has an independent front suspension, they just said, "Yeah, we're going to throw that in the trash and put in a put in a live front and make it articulate and crawl a little better on the rock." Yeah, it's uh, it's, it's it's just great to see the competition. I mean, it makes everybody better. It's great having Bronco uh, in the space with Wrangler. It's going to uh, make both these vehicles uh, better over time. I think. Uh, one one of the uh, superstars in the Ford shop these days is a guy named Vaughn Gittin, Jr., who's a, a champion drift drift racer, but he's he's also pretty good with a wrench, and uh, he's been doing some really interesting uh, stuff for for Ford on the electric side. Uh, I think he's got a seven motor uh, Mustang Mach E that he's yeah. been taking around the country showing off. But he's got one of these Broncos. Um, that, he, that he's showing. Uh, what's um, are, are you familiar with that vehicle? What's getting What's getting doing with the Bronco? The RTR Bronco. Um, so so they're going to be offering a bunch of uh, like you can buy RTR accessories. That's the company um, RTR vehicles. You can already buy uh, some accessories for the for the Bronco, um, and then they're they're going to be rolling out a little bit more. Uh, for the SEMA show, I'm 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 hoping to see what he's got up close. And you've also got, you know, there's a lot of other 
there's some other really good third-party support uh, for the Bronco that Ford works cl- uh, with closely, like Roush. Um, I saw that Roush is teasing a few add-ons. Um, nothing, nothing crazy like their Coyote Supercharger kit or anything yet. Um, but we're 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 looking at it. The um, the the as you say, the the Jeep side of this has this cool three-row. Uh, Jeep they're showing off Wrangler, which is uh, first three row I've I've seen. They also have a um, uh, they they have a Mopar accessorized Wrangler. It's got tube doors on it. It's got a blue interior. I mean it's uh, it's it's a wild looking thing. What's your uh, yeah if you if if you're going off roading and uh, um, is is do you got a sense of of uh, whether people uh, whether whether people uh, do want to go off roading with the doors off is that a pretty common thing? I mean, if if you're, I every time that I've gone off roading, I've just noticed that the interior is just absolutely filthy. Um, I've I've always kind of equated the the doors off thing to you know, just convertible top down driving. It's pretty enjoyable just to drive them around town with no doors. Um, me personally, uh, I the I've noticed that no matter what, the cabin's going to get dirty, whether it's a, a you know, a, 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 a Raptor or a ZR2 uh, versus a Wrangler with the doors off. So you might as well take the doors off and, and, and get the full experience. <laughs> yeah, I, I love that option. And uh, Mopar gives you these uh, tube doors if you kind of want the best of both worlds. The third, the third player in, uh, out there at SEMA this year, again, a new player, uh, in this space is the Hummer EV, and yeah. this is really kind of a this, this this vehicle runs with a different social crowd than the Wranglers and the Broncos, but it's pretty notable uh, nonetheless because it's a an EV and and brings some pretty impressive off road uh, chops. What are what are what are these guys bringing to SEMA? Uh, so Hummer, they're going to bring a lot of accessories. Uh, they Hummer, the GMC team um, announced early on that over 200 accessories are going to be available for, for Hummer EV customers. And they're bringing everything from, you know, kind of like a, like a wheel and tire caddy for the, tr- uh, for the bed, um, audio systems, uh, asset lighting, uh, LED light bars, uh, you know, just the, the, the easy plug-in bolt-on add-ons. But the cool thing with the Hummer is where kind of like the Bronco has the off switches, the Hummer has that all integrated into um, the infotainment screen. So you can just, like, you swipe through the menu, and then it's got off one, off two, you know, all, like just all, as many as, uh, accessories as, as you may have. You just kind of, like, push the, the touch screen, and it's on or it's activated, and you know, off you go. Uh, you know, I, I, I haven't had a off-close experience yet with the Hummer, but I was, I was listening to you talk to, to Dave Tracy uh, just before me, and I, the Hummer and the Rivian, man, they're just really kind of tapping into this unexplored world, and I, I, it's really exciting because the, the power is incredible there, right? You have 800 from the Rivian up to 1,000 if you, if you get a Hummer EV Edition 1 if you're one of the lucky customers, and, and if you, you don't really have to look very – very hard to see them driving around town. They're, they, they're cranking them uh, out at the factory zero facility at Detroit Hamtramck. And these are all pre-production builds, but you just kind of get a, a feel for the actual 
scale of this thing uh, on the road. It, and, and just like the Hummers of the past, this thing is just bigger than everything else, very imposing. Um, and, and it's going to definitely attract a, a certain demographic that, that just wants to be seen and has a lot of money to put up front for it. Um, because, you know, the Hummer EV is just not a, it's not a bargain basement vehicle. So it's, um, it, the, 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 the fact that it's going to FEMA, I think is going to, maybe not this year because it's not really in the hands of anybody yet, but next year we're probably going to see some pretty radical Hummer EV builds, a lot of cool add-ons where people actually kind of be able to go a bit and, and, and mess with the suspension and, and, you know, the ride height and put on bigger tires and things like that. So it's, it's going to be, you know, it's already exciting this year, but it's just going to be keep, it's just going to build and build. I think next year you can see even more off-road and maybe even the year after that. It's gotten so, it's gotten, I don't want to say crowded, but it's gotten so big over there now in the off-road space that you're starting to see builders and third parties and even OEMs uh, uh, look at other events like Overland Expo, and there's 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 two of them. There's uh, you know kind of cut cut alongside the Mississippi. There's Overland East. There's Overland West. And GMC also recently revealed um, a canyon concept uh, a mid-sized pickup truck um, at Overland West. And at the same time, I'm talking to. Uh, people who I, you know, I wasn't sure if they were going to see them or not, like American Expedition Vehicles is putting this one out. And basically at the expense of Overland Expo, they said, like, well, our, our, our market's kind of moving into that space where, and, and there's so many people that are going now that it's starting to be on people's radar. Um, I haven't gone to this event yet, but, but next year it's, it's definitely on the calendar. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's wonderful, all this uh, stuff that's going on. Folks are... You know, people talk about the death of auto shows from a media perspective because uh, manufacturers like to do their own individual reveals. But I think there's more uh, shows and venues open to customers than ever before to see these kind of vehicles. From a from a from a SEMA point of view, if you're a member of Special Equipment uh, Market Association, there there does seem to be a trend toward uh, toward uh, original. Uh, um, uh, manufacturers making it harder to modify vehicles. We've heard this from some of the uh, engine modifiers. It's hard to get into these new electrical architectures. Um, obviously, with electric vehicles, there's there's all, all kinds of interesting stuff you can do with electric motors. But is is that becoming an issue where it's it's hard to crack the code? On the performance side, it's it's going to be um, it's pretty detrimental, right? Like if you were a company that's relying on, you know, new products rollout from OEM. Corvette is probably the best example here. And you can't access or decrypt the ECU um, to properly tune and calibrate the the vehicle. So you're running, you know, a rat's nest of wires and piggyback systems, and the vehicle's not even functioning right or operational half the time. And it's just not really an appealing avenue for for most customers to get it to quote unquote work. Right. Um, and we're seeing GM is probably the, the biggest player here in that right now, because it's not just Corvette. It's also the Blackwing Cadillac. It's the new trucks, right? The new, the new 22 Sierra, the new 22 Silverado. It's the new SUVs. It's the Escalade. And the, it's going to be the electric vehicles as well. So even as the Hummer 
has a lot of horsepower and torque, you, as a customer, you, you really can't mess with, um, one, it's electrical architecture, and two, it's, it's battery systems or it's motors. You, you can't calibrate them. So it's, um, it, it, it's definitely an obstacle that the aftermarket is, is, is trying to, uh, you know, overcome. I, I've seen, I actually wrote about this yesterday uh, on Muscle Cars and Trucks, Lincoln Pelter Performance Engineering and Magnuson, uh, the supercharger company that's owned also by, it's owned by Eaton. Um, they are teasing a 702 horsepower Corvette Stingray for the Magnuson booster. So I think, I think something's going on over there that, that that's going to be a pretty, pretty pleasant surprise for, for people that were really itching to upgrade their Corvette. Um, and you know, 702 horsepower, that's, that's, that's Hellcat levels of output in, in a, in a C8. That's more powerful than the new Z06 they announced. Um, did they decrypt the control unit in the, uh, the ECU, the TCU? Not sure yet. Hoping to find out more. Uh, it'll be on display at the FEMA show. Hopefully I can, you know, get, get Ken to tell me something and, uh, kind of maybe this will be the, the start of something, something positive, I guess, for, for, for tuning and aftermarket, something a little hopeful as, as, as automakers look to, lock in and lock down ECUs. Yeah, Lincoln, Lincoln Felder's always doing uh, interesting stuff. Well, Manny, you have a good time uh, over there at SEMA in Las Vegas. Uh, a lot to see, and we'll talk to you again soon. Yeah, Henry, I'll see you on the other side. All right, that's Manny Katakis. You can find all his work over at Muscle Cars and Trucks, and uh, especially tune in to him as he attends the SEMA show next week. Our next guest is David Cole, um, a familiar name to these parts, uh, Chairman Emeritus of the Center for Automotive Research. Dave, how are you? Just great. Uh, breathing, and as an old guy, I, I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> you're, um, you're up north uh, this weekend uh, watching a little football, I understand. Are you, a, uh, uh, yes. are you blue or are you green? <laughs> I'm I'm very blue. I went to uh uh when I was a kid I wanted to be a farmer. I spent summers at my grandfather's farm and um and I was gonna go to Michigan State and study agriculture until my dad sat me down one day and said, There's a difference between a vacation farmer and a real farmer <laughs> and so that's uh when I ended up uh in Ann Arbor and uh, been there forever. My wife is a Michigan straight uh straight Michigan State grad. But uh, she uh, converted about 40 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. So it's it's not a house divided. <laughs> no, uh, no, it isn't. And uh, we have uh, our oldest granddaughter uh, went to uh, uh, Michigan. In fact, she was a three-time All-American volleyball player. She's a little six-foot-five girl. <laughs> <laughs> wow, she married a too. basketball player who's six-seven. It was uh, the kid that survived uh, a couple of plane accidents that killed his family. And, um, but their coaches told him, he says, when you have babies, we'll call them recruits. Uh, you'll call them babies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look forward to uh, seeing those siblings. Those are, those are going to be some impressive uh, athletes. Well, Dave, we, uh, we, we lost uh, all too soon. Uh, we lost a good friend of this program, Frank Jamerson, uh, who was uh, a, really a fascinating man and uh, had, had a lot Amazing to bring. Guy. Yeah, had, had a lot to bring to this to this time, particularly because of his background at GM and and, and a lot of the uh, 
a lot of the pressure on the industry right now to go uh, electric. Um, tell us a little bit about Frank Jamerson. Uh, you, you and you and Frank knew each other for a long time. A long time. Uh, Frank uh, was, you know, in his, uh, well, I think it was about 93 when he passed away, so he was not a young guy. But he's, uh, he went to MIT and then a PhD from Notre Dame and uh, uh, always a smart guy. I knew him when he was at uh, GM Research uh, and he was kind of the uh, original modern era father of electric vehicles. He was very involved with EV1 and the technology. And the ironic thing about Frank is that you'd think he'd be uh, the number one proponent that you could ever imagine to push electric vehicles, and he wasn't. Um, he uh, he wrote a couple of papers for SAE, and one of them uh, was extremely interesting because what he did is he looked at all the mathematical models that uh, have been done literally all over the world that were predicting uh, future temperatures, and they all had very high temperatures except for one. Uh, and it was the Russian model, and that's the only one that has been accurate. And it did not include carbon as a factor. So the uh, unfortunate thing now, and Frank was uh, extremely uh, concerned about this, is really the politicization of the whole issue of climate change. And uh, carbon is the evil uh, factor in that. And uh, um, uh, if people could read some of his papers, you would see uh, something there that was very, very important because we're, we're so hung up politically on trying to move towards uh, a carbon, uh, a zero carbon world that uh, we're looking at some things now in terms of uh, costs, uh, economic impact on people, uh, material issues, uh, that uh, uh, could lead to some really significant problems uh, for those that are pushing EVs too fast. I'm not against EVs. I mean, I think if electric vehicles make economic sense, great. But right now they don't, and uh, that could uh, lead to a very interesting uh, political situation against those that are really pushing hard uh, to have this EV world fast. Yeah, I mean it's uh, you know it's it, it, it's such a uh, it's such a diverse world with so many diverse customers. You really want to see automotive markets play out um, and see what the customers like. I I own a Tesla. It's a fascinating car, but it but it's uh, it, it, it's really a niche uh, vehicle uh, compared to maybe right. a more comp- comprehensive uh, gas powered vehicle that can go. Uh, long distances, 500, 600 miles without a uh, fill-up. I, I feel, Dave, uh, like a little bit like we're 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 reliving the early 1970s. The the 70s, the uh, federal government really came in um, and and really put a lot of pressure on the industry, regulatory pressure on the industry, and forced the industry in directions it really wasn't ready. To go yet, That's right. and and yeah. uh, and, it, and it really wound up um, uh, uh, screwing up the uh, the Detroit Three in particular. Oh, yeah, absolutely, and and this is uh, uh, one of the problems when politics get involved in something that's more focused uh, really on the market. And in fact, the key issue right now, and from, from my judgment, when the average person who uh, is not thinking about an electric vehicle, they're 
you know, even with high gas prices, what they're concerned about is the economics of their life. And uh, when they begin to understand that things are being pushed more from a political sense, uh, uh, that could have a very negative impact on the people that are uh, pushing like crazy. And and when you see some of the things that uh, aren't talked about, like uh, the availability of uh, some of the basic materials and the advanced batteries, uh, uh, when you look at the capacity of the grid to support uh, 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 the, the charging and everything else uh, associated with electric vehicles, uh, and as I say, it's, I'm not against them. I think it's fine, but they have to make economic sense for the average person. And right now, that's not uh, true. I mean, they're trying to push some things through Congress to uh, get even more substantial uh, uh, fees that uh, uh, on you, know, you buy an EV, we'll give you ten thousand dollars or fifteen thousand dollars or whatever, and it's uh, it's not based on uh, the reality of what people uh, the way people live in our free country. Yeah, and and ultimately uh, that 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 drives government further into the buying uh, into the buying decision, and there's a very controversial provision in the uh, current climate bill in front of the Congress that would uh, not only extend the $7,500 tax break, but would add Uh, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, the tax credit, but but would add a exclusive, uh, uh, would would, uh, basically double that if you have a union shop. And I I don't know if that's Yeah. Yeah, I don't, I, you know, and that, and that, that, uh, not only, um, obviously, uh, uh, discriminates against, uh, non-union shops like Tesla or VW in Chattanooga, but it also takes a lot of EVs off the market. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. And this is, uh, this is one of the problems when, uh, the government gets into, uh, making decisions that the average person really should make themselves. And it's, uh, unfortunately, we're kind of in, when you look at the far left right now, their uh, goal is to have the government run everything, uh, which is basically socialism. And uh, when the average person begins to see the impact of these uh, um, folks, uh, I think you're going to see quite a rebellion in, uh, the, in voting. Yeah, it's interesting too to me, Dave. The, the Tesla that I drive, a Model Three, I bought it back in uh, 2017, and I got a partial uh, tax credit uh, for that vehicle because uh, Tesla was selling vehicles at such a rapid rate that it eventually hit the ceiling on its tax credit. That's right. But when that, but when that, when that tax credit went away, they kept on selling. It is not slowed down their sales. That tells me that you don't need that subsidy. If you do the vehicle right, you don't need the subsidy to sell. Right. Yeah, I think that I think that's right. But uh, when you look at the market, uh, the people that are buying have been buying EVs. Uh, may not be you, but uh, they tend to be uh, more wealthy uh, people that are more politically motivated. And it's not really what you would think of as a, a picture of the uh, uh, general marketplace. And uh, unless you're beginning to treat the average consumer uh, how they want to be treated, ultimately there can be some real problems. I've, I've driven uh, uh, the Bolt, uh, Volt, uh, uh, Teslas, 
and they're fun to drive. There's no question about this. Uh, offline performance is uh, fantastic. Uh, um, it's just, uh, do they make economic sense for the average person when uh, you have questions about the fact that uh, carbon may not be the evil uh, thing that uh, people have made it out to be? And, and that's going to be very interesting how this plays out over the next uh, few years. And the political implications of this uh, could be profound. For example, in the next year when the average person begins to see this is going to hurt me uh, in terms of energy costs or whatever, uh, what is the, the political party that's pushing the daylights out of this? And I think if that were to happen, uh, you could see uh, a, a pretty amazing uh, restructuring of the political environment based on that. Yeah, well, I yeah, you know, you look at the the last thirty years and all the predictions uh, made by uh, by Al Gore and the Green Left, and uh, none of them that's right have happened. I mean, most prominently, the Great Lakes were supposed to dry up, and the you know we're looking at uh, oh, that's right, yeah, yeah, we're looking at yeah, yeah. you are up north, you got you got. Uh, uh, record high levels of uh, Great Lakes. I, I thought the, um, uh, you know, just to wind up on on uh, Frank Jamerson, our, our good friend, I, uh, as you say, he was an EV advocate, um, ran that Absolutely. program for GM, but he he also recognized that there was another revolution going on, that we had found so much oil under our feet uh, in the United States that, uh, in fact, the early concerns that GM had and what drove that EV program that Frank led was that fossil fuels would run out. Uh, that that is that has That's changed right. dramatically in the last decade oh, as, as the uh, fracking industry has found so much oil under our feet. And and Frank uh, Frank was an amazing guy. I knew Frank uh, from a professional standpoint. I always. Uh, uh, in the summers up here, I would play golf with Frank a couple of times, and he was just an absolutely terrific guy. And his view was that, uh, you know, economics and science rule. And that's one of the reasons he was so skeptical about the uh, the political push for EVs. Yeah. yeah and, uh, you know, and, and two $2 gallon gasoline, as far as the eye can see, if we take advantage of it. Well, it's, well it's, uh, the, the, the costs that the average person is seeing now with uh, the politics as they are are are, are not very comfortable. And I, I, we haven't seen the election yet in New Jersey, but I think that could be a signal that uh, the game is changing politically quite significantly. Yeah, yeah, a lot to watch. Well, Dave, uh, appreciate your joining us today. Um, good luck to the Blue. My pleasure. Hope your team wins this afternoon. <laughs> Oh, I hope so too. But uh, it's uh, it's life, and it's uh, not really that important when it gets down to it. <laughs> all the best thanks. to you and your team. Yeah, thanks very much. Have a great weekend. Yeah, you too. Take care. Bye. All right, that will do it for the first hour for us here at Car Radio. We're going to take a break at the top of the hour. Hear from our sponsors. And on the other side, we're going to be talking about Range Rover. There's an all new Range Rover on the way. You're on 910 AM Car Radio.
Black is Beautiful, the photography of Kwame Brathwaite, is now on view at the Detroit Institute of Arts. His large-scale images captured the soul of the 1960s movement, celebrating black style and identity. See more than 40 stunning studio portraits, fashion work, and behind-the-scenes images of Harlem's 60s era, artistic and jazz community. Admission is always free for residents of Wayne, Oakland, and Macomb Counties. More information and reservations at dia.org slash black is beautiful. 9 to a.m. Superstation has the greatest advertising deal ever with our Godfather package. 200 spots for $500 with a must-air-within-30-day policy. That is only $2.50 per spot, and we will even produce the spots free. That's right, free. Call Ronisha Williams now at 313-434-8291. WADL gets a facelift and is now My 38 Detroit. Along with a facelift comes new programming on Mondays at 8 p.m. Catch a two-hour block of Law & Order SVU. Tuesday, Chicago Fire. Wednesdays, Dateline. More Dateline and Chicago PD on Thursdays and on Fridays. You'll get more Chicago PD to start your weekend. We'll still have some of your favorite shows like Mom, Blackish, and Friends. Just adding more.